I wondered if you'd have beer or not. Of course. Convince me to drink a beer as well, but hmm. Well, I see you there with your big cup of water. It's very healthy. You've been putting me to shame. But then you said, like, we'll have a beer after. And I was like, well, I could just have a beer now as well. Do you want to have a beer now? Well, I've literally, yeah, I think you should join in. Are you trying to Joe Rogan me? I think you want to be Joe Rogan. (laughs) (laughs) Give me 15 seconds. Okay, I'll top mine up. (laughs) Hi. I'm Alan Hill, the nostalgic vagabond. I lived out of a backpack for many years during my 20s and some 30s. I'm less of a nomad these days. In this podcast series, I'm catching up with old friends, wonderful people I've met on the traveller's trek. And what better time is there to catch up, reminisce, and see how everyone is getting on in 2020? I hope you enjoy hearing about our journeys as much as we've enjoyed sharing. Is there an ideal age to go travelling? I used to think there was, but now I'm not so sure. I think we travel when we're ready to travel, when it's our time. For some, it's when we feel we can afford it, when we feel we have the necessary courage to be different, go against the trend of professional society maybe, or when we really need to escape, get some perspective, or perhaps for once, truly discover who we are. My original epic journeys were in my mid-twenties, But I still feel the pull, even today, and find time for top-ups every now and then, where I might just go away somewhere for some time and begin to truly feel alive again, free. On one of these trips, I met a lovely lass from the UK. I met Jade Nicholson Lamb. We bumped into each other in a deserted street in Slovenia. We connected instantly, as often backpackers do. It's like we sense the same spirit or energy in each other, like we're part of the same tribe. It's tough to explain, but travellers will get what I mean. Jade had recently been to Greece during these COVID days. I was curious to find out about what that experience was like, but to also do some reminiscing on our few days together and find out more of some of Jade's awesome adventures in Central America and Europe. Jade started travelling solo at 23. Is this the ideal or perfect age to go travelling? Maybe it was perfect for her. Anyway, here's the conversation. So, Jade, after all these podcasts that I've done virtually on Zoom, uh-huh. this is the first time I'm having a virtual beer, so what? I don't know if, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> Clearly a very bad influence. Mm. Well, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> okay, now that we have the beer, you know, the reason, I mean, I would typically like to drink beer, but when I was preparing to do all these podcasts, I read a lot on the internet. Mm-hmm. They did recommend you to have a beverage of some kind, but they said water, preferably tea or coffee, nothing carbonated or alcoholic. (laughs) I imagine for two reasons. One, the belching. Yes. And two, the fact that you can get pissed up and start saying stuff maybe you didn't want to say. I mean, I think it's fine. Like we we can both drink more than one beer. I can drink maybe two. So curious thing to be is if you've got hiccups at the end of it. I did wonder if hiccups would happen. Yes. I don't think they will. Yeah, your webcam loses focus quite often. I know. It's okay. I know what you look like. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's podcast. <laughs> You've gone blurry again. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the beer, it's the technology. Mm. Like, how drunk are you? I've had two sips. Wasted. You have just come back from Greece. I have. I had 10 wonderful days uh, in the sun. 
a lot of sand, a lot of sea, and it was just beautiful. It's the first holiday I've actually properly taken in almost two years, which is probably too long by my standards. And I just had a wonderful time. I really got to recharge and, and, and take it easy and drink a lot of alcohol, which was great. Did you have any ouzo? Uh, <laughs> I did not have any ouzo. Although at the hotel, the owner showed up with a big group of friends. And I've been told that the owner, I don't know his name, but he is the Greek equivalent of our John Lewis. So he, he seemed like a very interesting guy. Uh, we arrived about lunchtime, so we sat down for lunch and he handed us a shot of some incredibly strong alcohol, 60 to 70 percent. Yeah. So that was lunchtime done. I, I could have gone to bed after. I have not traveled since COVID has become a part of our lives. I'm very curious to know what your experience was like in Greece, especially compared to the travel you've done pre-COVID. And how was the aeroplane? How was the airport? How was the transiting? How was the the atmosphere and the environment in surprisingly it was not quite normal i i mean for the whole flight we were wearing masks which is pretty uncomfortable but completely doable you're not suffocating you're just you've got a bit of fabric on your face the rest of it i mean the whole airport you're also wearing a mask and also in the the journey to the airport you're wearing a mask unless you're in your own car or something so i think from about 5 a.m until we landed and got out the airport and got to the hotel, it would have been about seven hours later. We were just wearing masks. But that that seemed okay. That wasn't too much of a problem. It wasn't too hot in the UK when we were leaving, so it just was a non-issue really. But then getting to Greece and seeing what was going on, we were actually very, very surprised. So we flew into Mykonos, which uh, I didn't know until now, but that's a party island big party scene right. uh, <laughs> and we saw very 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 little social distancing going on obviously in the UK the different countries the rules are going to be different bars were open parties were in full swing Mykonos town is full of loads of very very narrow streets and there's absolutely no way that you can stay away from people there uh, when you're in the street you don't have to wear a face covering you're absolutely fine to just go about if you're in a restaurant if you're in a bar Obviously, because you're going to be consuming things, you can't wear a mask. Although they did have in place that if you had to go into a shop, you did have to wear a mask. So I guess that's the biggest similarity. To my knowledge, I didn't really see um, any sort of like half capacity restaurants or anything like that happening. Everywhere was pretty busy. And I was actually surprised at the number of tourists that were there. Mm -hmm. I felt like we were going against the grain in deciding to travel, but apparently not. You know, there are a lot of Brits abroad. So apart from having to wear masks in a building and wearing masks in public transport, the main difference was there was no half capacity hospitality like we get in the UK at the moment. It was just as normal. Ram them in there. Yeah. But one interesting thing that did happen is while we were there, Greece announced the second wave. Serious? Yeah. So they are they are still now experiencing a second wave, which then overnight things in bars changed. So you were no longer allowed to stand at a bar. In a bar, you had to sit down. Even then, we went to one bar and it was packed. And the, the, the person serving us was saying, oh, well, you know, it changed yesterday, so now everyone has to be seated. But we were still, you know, within a two metre radius, had about 15 different people nearby. So 
I don't know how much the seating changed the infection rate, if at all. And I assume that different establishments take it seriously. Uh, not that they weren't taking it seriously, but different establishments will, will have different guidelines that they want to follow. We felt very safe there. The island that we spent most of the time on, Naxos Island, actually had zero cases. Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably why they're a little bit more lax with some of the rules and why they just packed everyone in. As normal, as they would have done pre-COVID. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much, yeah. Did you ever feel anxious or that your safety was being compromised or you just dealt with the different cultural situation and that was what they do in Greece at that time? It's a strange adjustment then allowing yourself to be slightly closer to people after months and months in the UK of don't come within two metres of me. It feels very strange being so ingrained to the point that if I'm watching a TV show or a film and people are holding hands and they've just met up, I'm like, oh, well, what about Corona? Like, what's going on there? <laughs> so I think that mentality, it was, it was strange adjusting to being like, okay, no, you can relax a little bit more. And you can be slightly more normal as to what life was like before COVID hit. Uh, but other than that, I, f I did feel quite safe. The hotels were very accommodating. They Some had different rules where they wouldn't have housekeeping because that was a risk to their staff. Other hotels had housekeeping every day. They didn't have hand sanitizer around. I stayed in three hotels and then the third hotel had hand sanitizer everywhere. They had it in the rooms. They asked you to wear a mask if you're in reception. I think a lot of what the hospitality teams were doing was just seeing how their staff felt, how they felt, and just acting accordingly. You didn't really have any trouble adjusting to the, the system in Greece at the moment. It was just a different version of measures compared to the UK. Yeah, exactly that. I think one of the, one of the most intriguing things that didn't happen uh, before traveling, we thought we were going to be tested upon arrival. That's what whatever we could read online about the process. We believed that we were going to be tested upon arrival. We weren't tested. We didn't see anyone getting tested. We saw the, the stations where people were tested at the airport, but that just didn't happen. So I think for us, the most anxious thing would be arriving and then having what I hear is quite an uncomfortable swab put in your throat and nose. But that didn't happen. So we were, we were quite lucky, I, I guess, in that respect. You know, you were coming in from the UK, so maybe the Greek authorities figured EU at the moment, they're happy to just let people pass through. But a different country, they may have tested the whole plane on arrival. That might well be the case. So my flight came in and another flight from the UK came in at the same time or similar times and mm -hmm. neither flight were tested. So I think it might just be a thing of the UK for the moment in Greece is in the clear, they can be allowed in. Uh, I don't know if we would have a second wave or increase in, in infections or anything like that, if it would change. But yeah, I don't really know the, the true guidelines behind that, I guess. The situation is everything's just so uncertain and things are changing day by day. Expect what could happen and then if it doesn't, smooth sailing. Yeah, exactly that. Were you pleasantly surprised that you didn't have to get tested and just went through, even though you were preparing? I was surprised and pleasantly so, just because I, I know a few people in the UK who through work have to have it tested, have to be tested every week. You know, people that have been tested just on the one-off 
and there is a lot of talk about how uncomfortable the test is mm. so i i think that's always a thing of like oh i'd rather not <laughs> but of course if they were to if they were to say no you do need to be tested i'd actually have no issues with it i'd also be more than obliging to do it as a condition of entry yeah if you're entering someone's country you got to do what they say follow the rules otherwise go home yeah i wouldn't complain exactly <laughs> <laughs> thought we should go back a few years and relive some nostalgia <laughs> i wanted to take you back to the the manner in which we met and the location in which we met was kind of cinematic would you say very cinematic it could have been a film maybe we should maybe we should make it into a little short film <laughs> that would be wonderful i'd enjoy that <laughs> so it was bled in slovenia which is probably you may or may not agree but one of the most beautiful places in the world stunning it's it's one of my favorite places in europe yeah i was in the middle of a trip going from munich to dubrovnik by train and bus it was just a random thing i decided to do because i was kind of in the need of a reset similar to what you've experienced in greece just go away for a bit get your head straight and then go back to work and back to normal life you know nine to five grind the cheese greater lifestyle as some people might describe. <laughs> I was in the middle of this. I'd just come in from Austria. I hadn't really slept properly for a whole week because I was sharing some hostel dorm rooms with some heavy snorers. <laughs> I was like in a daze and I was standing in an intersection in this little village, I guess you'd call, of bled on the side of the lake. And I couldn't for the life of me find my hostel. I was just lost. <laughs> and then I see this friendly smiling face. You're looking for the hostel. I was like, hmm, yes. It doesn't look like a hostel, but that's the door. You've got to ring the bell, walk up the stairs, turn left, knock on the door, let you in again. Oh, and that's where you need to be. And I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. I think I've got that. In my tired state, I say bye to you and you trot off up the hill and I go down the hill and into this hostel that was disguised incredibly. Go in, check in, do my thing. I get escorted across the street, up the road, into this other building, which wasn't advertised like a hostel either. It was completely camouflaged. The woman who's running the hostel takes me to my room. I go in there. Look who it is. It's the friendly, smiling face. <laughs> the friendly girl who met me in the street. I'm in the same room. How serendipitous is that? It was It was very funny. I think we were both thinking the same thing. Like, oh, well, that's really strange and unexpected. And... I didn't realise it would now be forced to sleep together for the next two nights. Not together, but in the same <laughs> room. <laughs> um, I don't know how many times in your travelling experience this type of thing has happened. For me, I don't know. It's like I see people somewhere and then I can just be randomly placed in their sphere again later on. In this context with you, it was a matter of half an hour but in other times it's been days or weeks or months and i've met up with somebody else in another country or another city or on a random bus somewhere mm. has this kind of thing ever happened to you not too often but it has it has a couple of times on one trip i met this person very loosely in one country completely forgot about them because we we you know we met one night and that was that two countries later I bump into them, but then I also find out that they have a tattoo, which is very specific. They have a tattoo of the name of a boat that I had actually been staying on for a week. And they had no knowledge of the boat, but the boat was also there. It was just very, very, very strange how everything pieced together. Bizarre. You were on a trip of which 
Bled was one of the destinations. And from my memory, you were saying that you were on a massive interrailing trip. Yeah. Can you elaborate a bit about what that journey was? Where did you start? Where did you end? What was your route? What were you feeling in your life at that time to give you the desire to do such a, an independent and uh, adventurous trip? So... I was 23 and for me I felt like I was quite late to the traveling game. I hadn't traveled beyond a family holiday before that and I had been itching for years to get out but there were just circumstances that got in the way so it wasn't wasn't possible. And then in January of 2017, I just had enough. I was in a bit of a rut. I wasn't very happy in my job and with, you know, various other things. So I just decided one night I was almost asleep. And in my mind, I was just like, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go traveling. I'm going to go around Europe. And that's it. And my mind was made up. So then the next few weeks I spent looking at what tickets I could get, whether I should get an interrail ticket if I should just go and, and just really see what was going on and not be tied to the trains. Uh, but I did decide to go to Interrail. That was it. I handed my notice in at work. I started packing my things. I got a backpack. I, I got a clothesline. I got <laughs> lots of like very other small things. You don't really think that you need, but very, very helpful and just packed up. So I started in Portugal. I started in Portugal because my dad was actually going on a family holiday to Portugal with my stepmom and my brother and sister. So I thought, well, that'd be a great way I can I can see them for a week. I know that my dad was incredibly worried. I don't think he slept the whole couple of months that I was away. So I thought it might be a nice way for him to sort of relax his nerves. So met up in Portugal. And then I just sort of sped off from there on on coaches and on trains. I finished my whole trip in Denmark and just had a really really wonderful time there sort of not blow out a few days but just I've met some people there that I'll be friends with for the rest of my life so I think it's it's just it whole it's a lovely place I hold dear to my heart now because of the people that I met there and then in the middle I met a lot of other really really lovely people and saw a lot of interesting stuff that opened my eyes I spent a lot of time alone which was wonderful I think it has contributed to who I am today that I just absolutely love being alone now not that people aren't great but <laughs> in, your own, in your own company <laughs> oh dear actually I don't know what the country count is that I did on that trip but I did earlier find my photo of my interrailing pass okay so give us the country list then Jake okay so I went from Portugal to Spain obviously Spain to France and then I went France to Switzerland, Switzerland to Germany, but I didn't stay in Germany. I actually had quite a scary train journey that night, but I didn't stay in Germany. So Switzerland to Austria. Oh, and then Austria to Bled. So I did the same journey almost that you did. Well, it's very close, isn't Where it? Where did you come from in Austria? Klagenfurt. Oh, okay. No, I was in Vienna. Uh, and then I did Bled to... Italy went to it to Trieste in Italy and then I met up with you again in Croatia we went for a couple of pints which was lovely split we did and then from uh so I actually traveled further in Croatia so I went to Zagreb as well mm -hmm. and then I went to Budapest in Hungary and then from there I went to Poland and had a really magical 
walk in this forest in Poland, which is where the all of the population of the buffalo in Europe comes from, wow. is in Poland. And it was very special. I woke up about 4 a.m. to go on this walk, just as the sun was coming up about five. And it was almost like a sort of fairy enchanted land and it was spring. So everything was vibrant and green and some flowers were starting to come up on the forest bed. So that's also a very, very beautiful place. From Poland, I went to Berlin. I had a couple of nights there. And then, yeah, I went to Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. And then I had a couple of nights in Malmo in Sweden. Sweden. And then I went back to Copenhagen for the end of my trip. And then you flew back to the UK or did you train? No, I did fly back to the UK. Right. At that time of my trip, I was happily flying around. But I was still very, very intrigued by the idea of slow travel and absolutely fell in love with train travel from that moment, really. How many days in total was that trip? How many days? Oh, that's a very good question. I haven't worked that out. It was roughly two months. Give or, yeah, give or two. Yeah, two months. So that's, that's pretty reasonable. <laughs> Saw a few places, met a few people. It was lovely. I, it was meant to be longer, but I had to come back to the UK for unforeseen reasons. Yeah. But it was lovely. I think it was, for me, the perfect first solo trip. And actually, I think it's my only solo trip. So I've got nothing to compare it to. You mentioned earlier that you were staying with your family at the start of your trip in Portugal and that your dad was concerned for you. Do you know specifically what he was concerned about or was he just being a good dad and worried about his daughter traveling solo around Europe into countries she'd never been before? My dad had traveled a lot in his youth when he was my age. So he got the travel bug. He understood it. He knew that I had a need to go and absolutely supported me in that. For him, it was difficult because even at 23, I'm now 27. I'm still his little girl. Dad's little girl. Yeah, he just wants to protect me and, of course, doesn't want anything bad to happen. And it wasn't a case of him not trusting me or my judgments or decisions. It's a case of bad things happen regardless sometimes. And he would just hate for anything bad to happen to me. So the further I am away from home, the more he does tend to worry. Yeah. You did this solo trip at 23 and you considered that to be fairly late starting for this kind of European interrailing. If you had have gone, let's say at 19, do you think your dad would have been petrified because he was so much younger and inexperienced? I think he would have had a, a lot of chats with me beforehand about <laughs> how to... Trying to convince <laughs> you not to do it. Exactly, yeah. And, and there would definitely be more communication over text and every day, every morning and evening, I, have to, I would probably have to check in and just say, hey, dad, I'm good, I'm here, I'm doing this. Assuming you were going solo or would he have felt a bit better if you were going with a girlfriend or a partner or, or, or a group? He always would feel better if I'm going with people. I think for him, solo travel is just, there's not someone else there to have your back if, if you do get into a tricky situation. So I, I completely get where he was coming from. At the time of my interrail trip, I didn't have anyone to go with. And also, I think it was very good for me to go alone to really sort of establish who I am at the age of 23. Did you come across any particular sticky situations? And feel free to say I don't want to talk about it. But <laughs> Jade, if, if you've come across anything as a solo female traveller, have you come across 
certain situations that you think you could share to enlighten maybe other females listening to the podcast who may be wanting to solo travel and they have some trepidations and perhaps you can just give an example of some things that you've experienced yeah of course i mean i think anyone who's female unfortunately probably has already been through it in the country they're living in at the minute or countries that they've lived in it's really not much different to that i think as a female you can always most females probably do experience a lot of harassment or inappropriate comments or things that just generally make them feel uncomfortable and unsafe in life and and that's just where we are i guess at the moment hopefully it won't go on forever I don't know if this kind of treatment will end in my lifetime, but but it would be really nice to sort of see an end to it. When traveling, I think it's different because often you're relying on strangers to help you out sometimes. If your phone's dead, if you don't have a map, if you don't really know what's going on and you need someone to say, yeah, you just need to go up that street and turn right, then you, you have to talk to people and you have to open up that conversation in that world. I did have a couple of tricky situations. I got out of everything absolutely fine. But it does stay with you, the sort of fear that you go through, the sort of uncertainty that you're not really sure where this is going, if if it's going to end badly, if you're going to have to, you know, ask other strangers to get involved to try and get you out of the situation. So, uh, so I mentioned earlier that I was on a train and had an awful train ride. And that's because I, I had not planned ahead. I, I tend not to. But I decided that I wanted to go from Zurich to Vienna overnight. And there was a train that did that. But unfortunately, the train that I wanted to go on was fully booked because it was a Swiss bank holiday. So everyone was trying to get out of the country as they should and just go and see what else was going on. So I couldn't get the the direct overnight train. Instead, I had to get three trains that would eventually get me in at the same time. But it would mean that I didn't really get a night's sleep. And that's no problem at all. On the first train that I got on, this man sat opposite me at a a table seat. So there are four seats and he sat opposite me. He, I would assume, was about 40 and I had no makeup on. So I looked about 16, incredibly young. And he started talking to me because I had, um, I was very much on a budget. So I had the little milk cartons you get in cafes that you rip the lid off and pour it in your coffee. So I had some of them in my bag and one of them had exploded. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he, he offered me a wet wipe. I don't know how he had these so readily available, but great. He had a wet wipe. So I took wet wipes, said thank you, cleaned the bag. <laughs> Then he decided to start talking to me and I was like, okay, assume the good. I will just chat and play along. At the time, my my partner called me. So I was, I was on the phone and I was very much making the guy sat across from me aware that this was someone that I was with, that I was in a relationship and so on. I got off the phone and the gentleman's still talking to me. And then he said, oh, you're not stopping in Germany. I said, no, I've got to get another train. I'm, I'm going to Vienna. And he said, well, you know, you should definitely stop here. You should you should have a drink with me. And I was like, no, I don't really think I have time. And he was really persistent. And it, it was getting more and more sort of awkward, but also that he was telling me that I should get off the train with him. He wasn't giving me the option really anymore. And then he said, well, you don't have to get your next train. I'll get your next train. As in, I'll buy your ticket. If you miss that train, I'll buy your next ticket to Vienna. You don't have to worry about that. And then he said that I can stay in his, at his, I can, he's got a spare bed or 
I don't know if he meant half of a bed or a whole bed, who knows, <laughs> that right. I could stay in. Uh, and he would be my tour guide for the city. Mm. And again, I was declining and declining. And he was trying to give me his business card and telling me that I need to get off the train to go for a drink with him. So about 10 minutes before the train was due to get into the station and I packed my bag, I got my backpack without giving him a second to speak. I just said, I've got to go by and ran down a few carriages, got off, ran across the train station to any platform that I could see other people on. And I just stood as close as I could to them people without creeping them out. I actually had about a two hour wait until my next train. So I wasn't in a rush, but I just didn't want to have to be in the sky any longer. But yeah, that was it. I don't know if it was more my paranoia that made me feel so scared or or if he truly was someone that I should have been scared of. I, I don't know. But I felt very uncomfortable. I got out of the situation. And then actually on the next train, I met a really, 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 really lovely person who I spent about four hours chatting with. It was like we were best friends since we were about two years old. It was very, very strange. Then we were all of a sudden at my stop and I was like, oh, I need to get off. And I had to get off so suddenly that we couldn't even exchange names or contact details or anything. So I have a best friend that I made on a train. I have no idea who they are. Hopefully one day you'll reconnect maybe on another train somewhere. (laughs) I mean, if they listen to this podcast, I hope that they email you saying, hey, that girl, I know her. I'm I'm the guy from the train, not the creepy one. Did you tell this new person about the experience you just come off? Yeah, I did. I think because I was just so overwhelmed. People say trust your gut. With the vibe you were getting from the different people on the train, you felt comfortable with the second person and uncomfortable with the first person. And that was just you listening to yourself, getting out of the the awkward situation, but still being open to having a good conversation with a stranger as well. From these experiences, Jade, have you been able to realise that trusting your gut, knowing what vibes are positive and what vibes are negative and you've been able to deal with the situation accordingly and and get out of a situation or embrace a situation depending on who's around I think pretty intuitively and I think most people are like this when you meet someone that you know is a good person or not even that you just have like a deep understanding or connection with that person it's unspoken but you just I think you both understand it you both get it instantly so you know that you know when I met you if I if I in that same moment felt uncomfortable by anything else that was going on by another person I feel like I could look at you and and we would just kind of have that have that connection that you would know that I felt uncomfortable and I would trust in you in that moment and it, it goes the other way I definitely have met a lot of people where instantly you, you feel uncomfortable and you can't always tell why and you can't put it into words because the person hasn't done anything wrong, but there's something that makes you feel uncomfortable, whether it's the way they look at you or if they are too persistent on certain things, then it's, yeah, it's definitely red flags. And I think also, and it is horrible, but I find that being female is you can't always, if you're with someone that's making you feel uncomfortable, just say, well, I'm going to leave and that's it and just walk out the situation because then you are aware that people that men tend to be stronger than you and it's a case of well am I physically safe to leave maybe I just need to appease them I'll I'll give them my telephone number or 
you know, I'll, I'll carry on this conversation and be polite just until it is then an okay and polite way to leave so they don't feel like they're getting angry or they're getting rejected or anything like that. So it's difficult because you don't want to be rude to someone. You also just want to feel safe and comfortable. So it's finding a nice balance between that. What kind of advice would you give to young female solo travellers? Well, after all of that, it makes it sound like it's awful out there, but it's not. It's wonderful. And I think it's definitely not as scary as it can it, it can feel before. So before I went travelling alone, I was terrified of it. I thought it would be awful. I thought I would feel unsafe the entire time. And I think it's really about sort of looking at yourself and thinking, well, what do I absolutely need to feel safe? For me, I didn't mind sleeping in a mixed dorm. And sometimes I was in dorms that were, I was the only female in an eight bed dorm and it was full. But that might not be the case for you. So if, if you think, no, actually, I don't want to share a room with a man that I don't know, I don't trust, then stay in an all female dorm if that makes you feel comfortable. And I think it's just about adjusting. And you can absolutely trust strangers. And there are a lot of really, really, really lovely strangers out there who are always willing to help. A lot more good strangers than bad strangers. And then just going with your gut. If you feel like something's off, if you feel like you're being forced into doing something, then listen to that. It doesn't mean you have to bolt the door and and really just leave it. Just be aware of it. Be aware of what you're feeling and thinking and still manage to have a good time with it, though. It's not it's not scary to travel too much. Although you might get the odd creep along the way, but that's it. But like you said, you get that at home, too. Yeah. So it's not much different. Yeah. If you're if you're traveling for a week every day, you're, you're going to different places, you're going to different bars or restaurants or little shops whatever it is whatever you're up to you're you're going to multiple places a day if you were to do that every day for a week in the town or city that you're living in you'll probably get the same amount of maybe uncomfortableness or or maybe actually greatness yeah so yeah i wouldn't be put off by the idea of traveling solo especially as a female you were saying earlier that the traveling trip you did as a 23 year old as a first solo trip that it was a perfect time for you to do it and you really got a lot of the experience would you say that it's played a role in defining who you've become today yeah definitely I think it gave me a a confidence that I absolutely otherwise wouldn't have gotten now I feel like if anyone were to present me with an opportunity where they said well if you go and do this or you go and do that I'm much more likely to just say well yeah that's amazing and without thinking just really go for it whereas before I think I always had a lot of hesitation and a lot of doubt in my own ability to really do anything. I didn't believe in myself much at all. And for me, I, I now look back on the trip and I, I often put it down and I think that's just you know how my nature. And I say, oh, well, you know, it was only Europe, so it wasn't anything big. But actually for me, it was huge at the time. It was absolutely massive. It was the first time I'd ever been abroad for longer than typical 10 day holiday or whatever. It was the first time that I'd ever done anything like that alone. Before that, I never really used to do anything alone. I wouldn't eat out alone. I wouldn't go to the cinema, go to the theater. I was dependent on having company. Mm. Now, who I am now, if there's something I wanna do, it doesn't matter if I've got someone to do it with or not, I'm just gonna go and have a good time. Would you recommend solo travel to people in their early 20s as a means of gaining confidence finding themselves testing themselves to maybe discover what they're capable of definitely i i think it's 
a really wonderful way to sort of fast track a lot of learnings that you do through your 20s. Sure, when solo traveling or, you know, any kind of traveling, you, you come across some really difficult moments where you're not too sure how are you going to get through it? And it just, you know, sometimes you're really sleep deprived and then all of a sudden your hostel doesn't have a room and you've got to find somewhere else. And and these problems at the time feel absolutely huge, but then you just work through it. And I think just having to get on and do things and still you show up and you have a good time and you don't quit, it, it really does teach you a lot. So Jade, moving on from Europe now, We've been in touch since then. I've really enjoyed hearing some of the stories you've had, <laughs> especially of perhaps a traveller's graduation. You moved from travelling around Europe to going all the way over to Central America. Can you talk about what that experience was like for you and how that further increased your maturity and further increased how you've defined yourself and how you've grown into the woman you are today? Oh, wow. Big question. <laughs> I mean, that trip was very spontaneous and it came about a couple of ways. So I, I knew that I really just wanted to go on another big trip. And this trip happened in 2018. So not not long after my Europe trip, I was still itching to get away. I mean, I'm always itching to get away, but this time it was really sort of coming to a head. And I had a holiday booked to the Caribbean. So I was flying into St. Kitts and I had a lovely place to stay on the island of Nevis and just had a really beautiful sort of 10 days there just before going on holiday I had watched Call Me By Your Name mm -hmm. which is a really beautiful love story uh, that's set in Italy and it's over a long summer so I just had this whole idea of my head that I just really wanted the whole endless summer feeling I just wanted to feel like everything was really hot but too hot and very romantic not in a love way, just, you know, the world was romantic, very poetic. Mm. So I went on holiday, I'd watched the film, and I was just feeling quite, I don't know, in a bit of a dream world, really. And it was while on holiday, I decided, I've just got to do it, like, I've got to go somewhere else. And I, I and that trip, the trip that I then planned was meant to be um, a sort of no end trip, absolutely no end whatsoever. So I emailed work while I was on holiday and I said, I'm going to be leaving in, at the end of June. I hope that's okay. It's two months notice. Thanks. <laughs> and they, they were very <laughs> understanding and they got it because I'm, I'm always a flight risk. I tend to go and then I tend to leave to go traveling. I emailed work. I sorted all of that out. And then looking at flights, I'm always trying to be quite stingy. So I just looked at the cheapest flights I could get to Central America. And of course, it's Cancun because that's a tourist hotspot. Yeah. Uh, it's also very, very far east. So it was quite a quick flight, relatively speaking. So I booked a flight there. I also took my brother as well. He was 19 at the time. Uh, so we had a great time. And then we, we just started sort of going around the the original plan had actually been and this is a very very naive plan had actually been to to backpack for a couple of months with my brother uh so he'd find his feet and then he'd go off and do his own thing and then I was actually going to cycle down go back to Mexico where my bike was and then just cycle down the whole of Central and South America obviously not the Darien Gap because dodge. you can't cycle through that. <laughs> yeah, it would, it, would, it would take a while, might not make it out. Uh, but yeah, so I had planned to cycle it, which now looking back, I'm like, well, I could hardly walk to the shops without getting exhausted. I don't know how I was going to cycle in that heat and the humidity. 
Anyway, didn't end up cycling because my brother tagged along for the rest of the trip and we had a lovely time. And I don't know often if, if siblings get to do this, but for us, I think spending six months together as adults was quite lovely, actually. We got to just really reconnect yeah. and learn who the other person was as opposed to, oh, you know, you're just my 12-year-old little brother. You don't know anything. But yeah, no, so we had a lovely time. Um, and in the trip, I did four countries. So I probably spent about two or three weeks in Mexico. And then I went down to Belize and I had a really, really, really lovely time on an island called Key Corker. They actually have a cat sanctuary on the island, which is quite strange considering the island is very, very small. And I booked a place in the hostel in the cat sanctuary. And when I arrived, they said, well, no, sorry, we're actually fully booked. The hostel world must have double booked you or something. We were like, oh, no. But in the same breath, I somehow heard him say to someone else at work there, oh, well, the volunteers section is empty. Maybe they could stay there. So I was like, oh, so you take volunteers. Do, do you've got no volunteers at the minute do you want volunteers because I really love cats and I just kind of went on this long <laughs> speech about how wonderful cats are and how much I love them and I think they probably just said yes to get me to stop talking so that was it we we then were volunteers in a cat sanctuary on this tiny island in Belize which is very surreal and I had the biggest grin on my face for the entire time even when I was waking up at 5 a.m to muck out all the cat pens Yay. and so on yeah while on the island I at the dock met a very special couple Karen and Ron they were traveling around on a big yacht that they named uh Copacab Cop what have I bewildering boat names can become teasing tongue twisters when mixed with audacious ale Coco Pelly Coco Pelly <laughs> they were traveling around on a big boat that they named Coco Pelly uh, which was meant to mean sort of like youth and they they really lived by that so they had a very very special story they were they are the most wonderful people that I've ever met but I don't know if it was fate or what it was but we ended up meeting these people and they invited us onto the yacht without really knowing us and we got to go on a week-long sailing adventure with them uh, so they actually took us to the blue hole which is really, really, really special, really wonderful. And we anchored up just outside the hole and spent a night or two there, just surrounded by the sea. During the day, we'd go snorkeling around. Uh, I actually bumped into a shark there, which was mildly terrifying. <laughs> um, I have learned that my reaction in, in situations with sharks is to just get out of there as quick as possible which I know will get me eaten even more quickly by a shark. Probably don't go snorkeling with me if you're ever worried about sharks. <laughs> so I had a really wonderful time in Belize and then they dropped me off in uh, at the border to Guatemala. Actually, a very interesting time in Guatemala. So my brother is quite, he's more free-spirited than I am. I don't know. He's just really lovely and just kind of open to absolutely anything. We went to this little town called Livingston and you can only get there by boat, even though it is on the mainland, but you can only get there by boat down the river. We met some wonderful people that lived in a hippie commune there and to keep their like building and maintenance and everything going, they would make money by either running chocolate workshops where you could go and make your own chocolate, which I did and it tasted wonderful and I had a really lovely half day there. Or they would also 
make their own instruments wow. out of literally anything and all types of instruments and they were beautifully crafted really 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 special uh, instruments we started hanging out with them a bit and max who was one of the guys that lived there he did a voice workshop for us so one morning me and my brother went to the dock and we sat down with max and he had some lovely uh, tibetan singing bowls Mm -hmm. we were there doing all this chanting whilst looking out over a really wide murky river with lots of green hilly mountains on the other side and a fog kind of setting down into it and that again felt like something out of a film it was very special very surreal So I had a sort of weird couple of weeks there feeling a bit like a hippie, I guess, which was wonderful. And then I I moved on to uh, Honduras. I again went to another island. I think I actually just love islands. I think that's my true calling. And ended up living on an island for three months called Utila, which is a a big diving island. They've got a lot of dive shops there. Uh, It's also got a bit of a party vibe not that I was too much into that but I just had a really really wonderful time and well I I had an apartment there so it felt a bit like home for a couple of months and all the sort of new cafes that would open up or you know new things that would happen you felt like you were a bit in a community really so that was really special so the original plan was then to come home for Christmas which I did and I flew back and I was meant to fly out but uh circumstance over Christmas meant that I stayed in the UK so my trip was called to an end, but it was it was a really lovely trip. I learned a lot on that trip, I think. And and I definitely met a lot of people that were very, very, very special. What was the story you were going to tell me that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you said you were going to? So I went on the boat. I went on Coco Pelly. Yes. There, I've got a T-shirt. Maybe I should have been wearing a T-shirt now. <laughs> anyway, I went on Coco Pelly and I had a t-shirt and it had their logo on which was this strange little blue creature holding a didgeridoo almost so coco pelli i learned was about fertility and youth and just sort of prolonging life really or sort of just being useful in life and then when i got off the boat i went to guatemala i went to livingston and i met a guy who had also been sailing on another boat that was going the same route to us Anyway, at the hostel, I spotted that he had a tattoo and on his, I think it was on his leg, he had a tattoo of Coco Pelli, of the little strange blue creature that I'd never seen before. And now I was seeing it absolutely everywhere. Uh, so I spoke to the guy and obviously found out that it was Coco Pelli on his leg. So but he had no knowledge of the boat. So Coco Pelli was the name of the boat you were on for a week with this really lovely couple. Yeah. And then you saw a bloke with the same name tattooed on himself. Yeah, like the same little creature as well. Coco Pelli. The internet says Coco Pelli is a fertility deity, usually depicted as a humpbacked flute player, often with feathers or antenna-like protrusions in its head, who is venerated by some Native American cultures in the southwestern United States. Like most fertility deities, Coco Pelli presides over both childbirth and agriculture. Jade, have you ever met somebody on your travels whom you particularly admired and learned a lot from about life and about travel and about becoming the best version of yourself? I think the people that I've learned the most from have to be Rod and Karen from Coco Pelli. There was something really, really magical about the time there. It's like they looked into 
our souls and they just sort of saw what stages we were at in life and, and what we'd been through and, and they really just sort of nurtured us out of that. Karen said that from the moment that she met me stood on the dock that she knew that I was like a daughter to her so I, I think that kind of bond and it goes back to what I was saying earlier you know when you see someone you connect with them instantly you know that they're a special person you, you just kind of go into that relationship incredibly open and and I guess longing for the deepness that you know it will bring so for for me meeting this really really wonderful couple I now refer to them as my American parents almost um <laughs> Was that your cat? That was Paul, yeah. Paul, you can't. <laughs> I'm going to let him out one second, otherwise he's not going to stop me out. Okay. <laughs> I can't believe how silly that was. Are you still in touch with Ron and Karen? Yes. Do you have Facebook or do you email or are you Zooming? Uh, we Facebook. Actually, Facebook is the, the only reason I have Facebook is to stay connected to people that I've met on my travels. Otherwise, I'd absolutely get rid of it. <laughs> Fast five. Five quick fire questions require five quick fire answers. My guests must answer five random questions about traveling without thinking too much. Are you ready for the fast five? Yes. Was that quick enough? Yeah, it could be quicker. <laughs> Question number one shower shoes or no shoes? No shoes. Question number two leather or rubber? Rubber. Question number three chain or independent? Independent. Question four, full or empty? Full. <laughs> Took you a while to answer that Always. one. <laughs> number five. <laughs> that was the delay. <laughs> Question number five, pro-selfie or anti-selfie? Anti-selfie. There you go. You did the fast five. Oh, I think I was quite slow, but that was fun. Fast five. 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 Pro selfie or anti selfie? That one hasn't been asked before, but all the others I think have been asked already. Mm. So, what does everyone think about shower shoes? Am I just gross? Most people have said no shoes. Oh, but there's been a few that says shower shoes. Yeah, I would say shower shoes. Oh God, the judgment there. I don't judge. You know, one thing that I realised that we haven't spoken about, right? Which I think is like a key point of our our friendship is the washing line. You, you giggled at my mention of it earlier. I did, yeah. Okay, Jade, why is the washing line such an important piece of kit to pack when you're going backpacking? Because you might end up making a great friend out of it. You just never know when it's going to come in handy. Please explain. <laughs> so upon realising that I was then sharing the same room with Alan, actually, no, I think you saw my washing line and you were impressed by my washing line. I remember seeing your elastic, stretchy washing line that was probably about six foot long do you think it was maybe a bit more at full capacity yeah it must have been because you were in the bottom bunk mm -hmm. and you had hung it you'd clipped it onto the frame or whatever of, of the top bunk and you're drying your clothes which is genius and I thought <laughs> this is awesome and what I would have done but this would only be possible if there were wooden slats on the bunk above mm -hmm. where you could kind of tuck an inch of fabric under the wooden slat and then let it dry that way, mm -hmm. which is reasonably efficient, but not as good as a washing line. So I was very impressed with your washing line. And it was the middle part of my trip in Bled where we met and I needed to do some laundry. And I thought, I'm gonna ask Jade if I can borrow the washing line. And you were generous enough to give it to me. I did. Um, 
and even generous to do even more, which you can then tell the <laughs> listeners what you what you were so polite to do. So on my final day in Bled, I was getting an earlier bus out of the village, but you had just disappeared. I don't know. You probably went to go and read a book in a cafe or something. I don't know where you were. No, I was actually exploring a ruin on the side of the mountain that I discovered, oh. an abandoned building. So that's where I was. <laughs> okay so while you were hanging out with a load of ghosts and god knows what (laughs) i was trying to pack but you had my washing line in use all of your clothes were dry my underwear and socks still on the washing line what did you do with them i figured that you you wouldn't mind if i took my washing line but i didn't want to just be rude and just pull all of your stuff off and just throw it on your bed so i folded all of your underwear and paired all of your socks and just left them the end of your bed neatly folded for you it was awesome yeah i i just left <laughs> yeah i sent, i remember i sent you a facebook message saying oh thanks for doing my laundry <laughs> <laughs> so you, you didn't have to fold my underwears and socks i've only known you for a day and a half <laughs> <laughs> i mean looking back now i it just seems quite intimate if if you're yeah. like you're going to meet someone and then just fold their underwear but uh I just need my washing line. I just, yeah, I just really needed my washing line. That was it. (laughs) Well, I I would have thought you were even stranger if you had felt too awkward to touch my intimates and uh, leave your washing line to me. (laughs) However, that wouldn't have been the biggest issue because I could have just given it back to you in Croatia when we met a week later. That's true, but I don't think we had planned to meet. I think that was by chance again. Jade, the underwear folder. Oh, God, that's going to be my nickname, isn't it? Well, tell Ron and Karen about it for sure. So Jade, I want to move on to something now, which I know you're quite, what's the word? You're, you're quite, mm, I don't want to say passionate, but you're, you're, you're very much aware of this idea of ethical traveling, travel responsibility, and your concern with carbon emissions and carbon footprints and how your traveling can influence or impact the world and hence other people who live on this planet. I remember you said earlier in the podcast that you hadn't been traveling for almost two years, did you say? Yeah. Because you kind of put yourself on a travel ban. Is that right? Well, I put myself on a flight ban. Yeah. Uh, So I vowed for at least a year to not fly, which I stuck to and almost made it to two years. For me, I felt like I should be responsible for the emissions that, you know, I was setting out into the world by flying. And in 2018, I actually went on a lot of long haul flights, which isn't for me very good. Uh, and I was definitely feeling a bit weighted by the guilt of that. So I, went, I put myself on a, tra- on a flight ban. But also I, I do just, gen- like, I really have a great love for train travel and slow travel. And I think it should be encouraged more. I think we're, where we are now, everything is instant. People just want everything instantly. Um, and I'm one of them. So I, I think for me, sort of really learning to slow down and enjoy the journey, enjoy absolutely everything in getting to a destination. It should be you know, something that I strive for more so than just arriving somewhere after sitting in a plane for a few hours. And you mentioned that you had a, a guilt. So I went on the Internet and I looked up traveler's guilt. Oh, wow. Right. Do you want to know what I found? I'd love to. You might be surprised. Traveler's guilt, when you haven't seen and done everything you're supposed to. Completely selfish guilt. Oh, I haven't done everything I'm supposed to do. 
Whereas your guilt is very much the opposite of that. You're concerned about other people, not yourself at all. You're, you were sacrificing long haul travel and traveling abroad more or less altogether for the benefit of the planet and other people on the planet. I, well, I tried. Yeah. I mean, I know I just, I'm just back from Greece and I did fly there. And that is now why I've got quite a lot of guilt. To make up for that, I'm trying, well, so I, I will absolutely offset by paying. Um, I haven't decided which organization I'm going to donate to yet. Uh, but on top of that, I have decided to go vegan for a little bit, just to sort of rid the guilt even further for even contributing <laughs> okay. to that space. You're very conscious of your carbon footprint. I think some people would look at me and say that's quite extreme. Hmm. I would look at other people and say, there are more people that are more extreme than what I am. But I think generally it doesn't mean I would like absolutely everyone to do what I'm doing. But I think if everyone could be conscious of their sort of their carbon footprint and maybe do little bits here and there to, to lower it, then it's got to start having an impact on a bigger scale. For sure. So with, with saying that, Jade, have you got any future trips planned? You've discovered that traveling post-COVID is very doable, but also you're quite conscious of the flights well, it, it's tricky now because, you know, there's a lot up in the air. Everything is very uncertain with COVID-19. But hopefully it's as concrete as it can be. I haven't booked anything yet, but I will do soon. In February, I will be going to Paris for a long weekend with a very, very good friend of mine who is also an avid traveller. So we will be going by train. And we actually did that this year by train for a long weekend. And we had a blast. We yeah just had a really wonderful time and have far too many funny memories to uh recall but i also think they're the kind of memories where you have to be there to actually find them funny because we're in fits of giggles talking to other people and uh, no one else quite gets it so we're, we've now decided to make it an annual thing so in february we're going to go to paris again and probably make some even more silly memories that no one else really understands which will be nice because that will be quite a guilt-free holiday or trip is that because you'll use a train the Eurostar yeah. from St Pancras into Gardino yeah exactly that and it, it's super I actually prefer if you you sort of take away your carbon footprint out of the decision I actually much prefer traveling by train I think it's more spacious it's more comfortable the whole process of sort of getting into the station getting into your mode of transport is much better you know there's security and passport control tend to be a bit shorter as well. I do much prefer that mode of travel anyway, just naturally. If I gave you £2,000, Jade, where would you go? I'd really like to go to Norway. I haven't been. And I'd love to go hiking there. So I figure if I pick somewhere like Norway, I know it gets pretty cold, but I can be smart with thermals and whatever else. Then I could probably make that last for quite a long time if I just go hiking and have bags and bags of dried pasta with And don't buy any beers. Well, I mean, that's an impossible thing. Because <laughs> one beer will cost you about a thousand pounds. Yeah, well, okay, maybe I'll buy one beer. That's half the budget, yeah. <laughs> from all your experiences in all the countries you've been to, maybe you've learned something from an avid traveller you've met, maybe you've made some mistakes. In short, I would say just say yes and be open. Obviously say no if your gut's telling you bad things, but say yes and be open as often as you can. My very first day of my first trip, so Europe, uh, I wasn't with my family. I went a few days before alone. And in the hostel, this guy came up to me and he was like, hey, what are you doing later? And I was like, oh, I've got no plans. I just got here. 
He's like, okay, well, you should come with us. Like a few of us, are, uh, this guy is filming this art project and I don't know, like it's this weird art project for like his trip in Portugal. So like, you should probably come. It's at like this place called Fabrica. Yeah, I don't really know about it, but you should come. Super vague. <laughs> Instantly, I'm like, do, do I go to that? I don't really understand what's going on. Like I should probably say no to this. But then I reminded myself, no, you're here to to live differently, just to break out of the the rut that you've been in. I was like, yeah, I'll go, no problem. Like, come and get me when you're leaving or whatever. A big group of us, maybe 10, 15 of us from the hostel, we all get together, we walk down this old train track, so it feels very dodgy initially, and we get to this giant warehouse, no lights on, no one around, and I'm like, huh, this kind of feels like where people go and get killed. probably won't happen like logically because I'm with a group of people who are like-minded and whatever probably won't get killed but it could be that get to this warehouse someone's banging on the door to let us in and this guy who looked exactly like Prince hangs out the top window and he's like oh you guys are here comes running down and you see all the lights go on in the different windows like as he's running down the stairs and then he opens the doors the door and he's like well come on in and it was like walking in to and I wrote this in my journal that I had at the time I think I said it's like walking into a charity shop on acid it was just so surreal there were just things everywhere there was like a a whole stage full of tv screens that were all on static like old old tv screens the big box ones with the little um, dial to change the station and then they there was like a wall of uh oh what are they called things that you hang clothes on like the the plastic models in windows of a shop mannequins thank you yeah so there was a whole wall of mannequins and just like very peculiar thing like in the and frames everywhere and empty frames so I went there and watched the guy that was making this art film about his time uh paint a chicken on a canvas and then smash his head through the canvas with paint all over his face because the paint was still wet and it was very arty and I had the job of holding the flashlight so like the lighting was right and it was just very very surreal and after we filmed we all grabbed a beer and we went up to the roof of the warehouse just chatting and looking up at the sky and there was this it's so cheesy but I don't care a shooting star came across and in that moment I was like wow like this is it like I'm finally living I'm saying yes to things I'm alone and I'm absolutely doing this. And I was just open to this opportunity of coming here. That's the long story. But yeah, in short, I think just say yes and be open. That's great. You need to retrain your brain. You do. Otherwise, you would have just been in your bed asleep and you never would have had this experience. Exactly. I know. Well, that's a brilliant way to end. Thank you very much for your time, Jade. It's been a pleasure catching up. Thank you very much. Stay safe. You too. All right then. Laters. Thanks for listening to The Nostalgic Vagabond. My guest has been Jade Nicholson-Lamb. There are more episodes in this podcast series where you can hear more stories and tips from other travellers. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me at The Nostalgic V. Thanks to Tom Forfer for creating the soundtrack to the series. Don't forget, your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time.